I'm Erica. I'm the real John B. I'm Jim, <laughs> and this is Topic Lords, the only the only place on the internet you're, you can where you can hear topics discussed. Are you sure, Erica? Which <laughs> I, I hope so. I hope no one else is just biting my stees. <laughs> biting your stees. <laughs> it's a sex act. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna spend the next uh, hour blushing. Erica, <laughs> <laughs> uh, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Uh, sure, I'm Erica. I am. I don't know, a scientist, a biologist, a field ecologist of some sort. I was hoping you're still an ecologist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, you know, like I can't, I can't shake that. That's like in my blood, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I will uh, plug um, having a bark mitzvah for your dog uh, for when he <laughs> when, when, when they turn thirteen <laughs> in dog years, so that you know you can watch your good boy become like a mensch you know <laughs> right right and they have to give a speech yeah yeah and uh if Woof. if uh uh if somebody asks you if your dog is jewish you'll know so <laughs> yeah and john would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug hi uh i'm john b i probably have the highest uh ratio of appearances to uh interesting things to talk about on topic lords <laughs> Huh. I'd like to plug Star Trek The Motion Picture because uh, I watched it recently and really enjoyed it as part of my Star Trek The Original Series viewing experience, and a lot of people like to make jokes about it and say it's boring, and I see what they mean, but also <laughs> uh, I thought I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. There's a new director's cut out, too, which is weird because Robert Weiss has been dead since 2005, but... Uh, oh, no. huh. um, the director's cut from beyond the grave. Wow. Yeah. Somebody who did work with him. I mean, they just needed the money to like finish some things or whatever. And yeah, now you've just got sabotage stuck in my head. <laughs> Wrong. Yeah. You know, I, I, saw, I saw the first and the third of the recent trilogy. That was like the most Star Trek exposure I had. And, uh, <laughs> I skipped two, so... I didn't realize they made three of them. Yeah, the, there's a middle one, which is the bad one. <laughs> okay. Uh, are we ready to start on some topics? Sure. Erica, your topic is the Nancy Drew point-and-click adventure series. As you know, I like bad games. Um, I really can't get enough of them. Um, I don't know if I would classify the Nancy Drew series as bad games. They're very comforting in some ways. Like um, I have played or watched almost all of them except for four. Four seems like a big number, but there are actually 33 in the series. Oh, yeah. so that's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Comparable to Godzilla. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Probably not quite as popular, but I don't know. If you check the Wikipedia, um, you know, Nancy Drew is like extremely popular uh, as like a book series, and the the uh, her interactive games are actually based directly on the books and it gives it kind of like a weird pacing but also like just a like a fantastic deep uh like backstory to every character like the conversations are very unvideo game like like if you compare it to mass effect uh mass effect sounds very like stilted and sort of directional and the nancy drew conversations tend to be these kind of character developments and teasing conversations and things that actually don't push the plot forward at all. Um, huh. The the experience of them is kind of like, um, I don't know, just like just experiencing like 
you know, several dozen of these games. It's kind of like um, how I used to feel on Sundays when my mom would come with like two donuts each for me and my sister. And then we would sit down and like watch Pac-Man and all of like the bad Sunday morning cartoons. That's the that's the feeling I have. It's like this indulgent, like could watch this G-rated fluff forever. I really like them, and uh, it's I've played quite a number of them and been like very impressed with them. Except for like there are a couple of broken puzzles in particular games that I'll, that you can't progress past. But if you don't care about progress you can just like watch the end of the video game (laughs) i mean that's like a non-starter for some for some people but um i really only had that and every all of the other puzzles seem fair they are kind of like based around mysteries and like the mysteries tend to be very interesting like they can captive like they can hold your attention um and i i really think of this as like sort of an alternative to television like I find television kind of harsh and boring and you know like very violent and stuff and these Nancy Drew videos like occasionally she gets killed and stuff like that but uh it's nothing you can't handle or reset from (laughs) right right (laughs) I, I just kind of wanted to like talk about them because um it's another one of these genres like the like the hidden object games that um the fandom is not a kind of public in-your-face fandom. Um, But these games are very solidly designed, like extremely well-designed, and I'm not sure why they don't get more attention. Like, they're very, very player-friendly. Maybe they're not, you know, for adults, but again, like, when you read the Wikipedia article, it says, like, um, Nancy Drew is cited as a formative influence by several women from Supreme Court Justices Sandra Day O'Connor and Sonia Sotomayor to former Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton and former First Lady Laura Bush. Like, you you have, like, just a lot Yeah, of- but that's that's the book series, though. But the, but the video games are close. They're, like, they're very- Right, right, right. They're very closely designed to the- um, and if you're not going to read the books, that's what I was going to ask. Have you yeah. have you read the books? I haven't, but I actually went through and like read the Wikipedia summaries to see how close they were because they have the same yeah. titles and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I guess the disadvantage of that is like you can run out of books unless they keep making them. Apparently, they've released like sort of a new series of them where Nancy Drew is an airhead and <laughs> nobody likes her. Yeah, I'd. I'd- I'd heard something about this series because uh, Abby Russell, when she was with Giant Bomb, uh, was another big fan who would talk about them. And uh, shortly before she left, that recent one came out and she was like, it sucks. Yeah. It's a different genre of game with a different art style. It's the only one on Wikipedia that doesn't have a blue link. Oh. Fans hate it. There you go. (laughs) It's it's also like the, the one of the reasons it feels so kind of like wholesome entertainment is i think they cast the voice actor for nancy drew as like this 50 year old woman and so by the end of the 33 game she's like 70 and she sounds (laughs) like a 70 year old woman and i'm like how could they is she just you know she's supposed to be like 16 like why does she sound 70 and i looked at the voice actress (laughs) and she's like literally 70 (laughs) yeah yeah wow I, I, I didn't realize Nancy Drew and Goku had so much in right. common. 
I have you played these games? Have either of you played these games? I have not. Um, oh, there's one for the Game Boy Advance. Oh wow! But that's probably one of the the shitty ones, right? Seems likely. Likely. I wonder if it's a shrunken version of one of the other ones. Yeah, uh, I haven't played them. I don't know how much I personally would get out of them, but uh, it, it was very nice to hear that you know there was this pretty solid series of games based on the books. And like you talked about why they weren't more popular, and it's like, well, the obvious answer in the gaming space is because you know they're licensed titles and they're targeted at you know a female audience for the most part. Right. So, kind of like you mentioned with hidden object games, and it's you know it's really unfortunate, but uh, yeah, but it's cool. I don't know. I love that. There's all sorts of YA and stuff that has huge online fandoms, and it's like, yeah, you know, even even with that in regard, you you do think you would hear more about it. Yeah. It's just like people are always like pointing to like really like key examples of good video game writing and bad video game writing and um you know uh inclusiveness and this that and the other thing and like I I just like there are so many you know solid examples out of these video games of like really excellent uh development of an entire world and of course they have the books to draw on. You know like as a scientist I'm always like you know aware of the literature in my field, but I'm also reading literature out of the medical fields and reading literature and physics to see how they kind of intersect with, um, with what I know and, and what I can draw from those things. And I don't know if game designers actually like play outside of their preferred genres. I, I remember in like 20, 20, 2008 hearing that basically Every game designer was just playing World of Warcraft, <laughs> and that was. <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of just everybody plays the AAA hits. I think it's getting better though. Like I do think there's a lot more diversity of interest in in modern game design, especially in the indie space. So what do we need? Like a, a Nancy Drew Dark Souls reimagined series or something to? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> what what would it take for you, Jim, to like play play one of these games? I I could I might play one of them now. Like realistically, I think it would have to be on my phone. Okay. Or or maybe the Switch even, just because it's it's so yeah. much easier for me to like put in the time when when the machine is with me at all times. And there is so. This game, the, the, it looks like they they put out like two games a year up until like 2014, mm-hmm. and then 20 after 2015 they stopped until 2019, and then nothing since then, which is too bad. But there is exactly one of them, game, one game in 2014 that was released for iOS and Android. I'm sure neither, I'm sure neither version is still playable, which is a bummer. But I'm actually surprised that this series hasn't gone like full-on free-to-play phone bullshit uh because that's where the i feel like the vast majority of i mean and not just because the uh the vast majority of gamers are now on phones playing free-to-play bullshit but the vast majority (laughs) of of women gamers are also on phones yeah and proportionally more so games where um the dialogue is the game like there are some puzzles and stuff but um, yeah there are like yeah no you'd have to you certainly have to rejigger the the format yeah yeah put nancy drew in Fortnite. (laughs) yeah 
<laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna play one of these games, um, like the Silent Spy is my favorite. Um, it's the the story is mind blowing. I, I just wasn't prepared for it. Um, yeah. Uh, like a lot of them are are kind of bad. Um, but uh, but bad in a, in a fun way, you know. <laughs> right. Curse of the Labyrinth is very good. To give you or some perspective on what it would take to get me to play an adventure game, uh, Return of Monkey Island just came out. Yeah. Return to Monkey Island. This is this is the adventure game that I have been dreaming of for decades, mm-hmm. dreaming of being able to play. And I put like two hours into it. I'm having a hard time getting back to it. <laughs> like it's it's good for what it is, but I'm just not that interested in that kind of gameplay as it turns out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. This this uh this group her interactive like they could do a lot. Like they really know how to design a solid game. So I don't yeah. I don't know what they're going to do next, but um I'm going to watch them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I might have to give that one a try then. Yeah. We're talking point and click adventure. Shout outs to uh, Dropsy coming to Switch. Oh yeah. Oh sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. Friend of the show, Dropsy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Jay hasn't been on in a while. I know. I can't remember. I can't remember he's why. Been, he's been rather busy. That well, does he have two kids now? Oh my goodness! Yes, <laughs> and he's porting yeah. his games everywhere, and or somebody's porting his games everywhere. And yeah, yeah. Friend of the show, Jay. Jay. I can't remember whether we agreed it was Jay Tolan or Jay Tholen now. I think he was open to either. <laughs> the fact that he's confused on that point now is. Is just delightful. <laughs> there is a canonical pronunciation that we agreed to use on this show, though. Oh. I, and I can't remember. I think it was Tolan. Mm-hmm. I think it's Jay Tolan. Okay. Uh, I think it was, yeah. <laughs> are we ready? Okay. Are we ready for another topic? Sure. I think so. John, your topic is advances in garbage food technology. Yes, it is. Yeah. So this is an area of, of my interest because I eat a lot of garbage. Um there are various sundry reasons that we, we don't have to go into here. I'm an American, so that's one of them. Um, yeah, that helps. But but I, I, as far back as I can remember, uh, the, the first time I remember this uh, hitting my attention was when they started adding blue to all the cereals and green. <laughs> is, this, is this like uh, they invented blue food coloring finally? Yeah. So – you know the the history of the history of dyes could be a topic in itself, but like it's for a while they're they're you know they had to invent food colorings that uh, were tested and safe, and it seemed like for a while uh, you know all the cereals only had red, yellow, and orange, right? right. Like both Fruit Loops and Tricks were were limited to that palette basically. Oh yeah, and, and the and associated flavors. M&Ms. They had a green one, but not the blue one yet. Right. Yeah. So so that was limited and then in the early 90s it was like um Tricks added a Fruit Loops added a fourth color. <laughs> and Tricks and Tricks added a fourth color. I think uh, I can't remember now if it was blue or green. One of those came. I think green was probably might have been out of the gate cuz it used less blue food coloring. The the largest leaps in food technology, garbage food technology. When you think garbage food, you think the microwave. <laughs> And there, there are a lot more things you can put in the microwave now. And the thing that fascinates me about this is you could probably look up the patent history on this stuff, but it just sort of quietly rolls out and nobody talks about it. So I'm talking about it here. Yeah. 
the, Do it. the people must know. Speak truth to power. Yeah. Like like the big obvious one is probably the the little silver disc that you can microwave pizza with. <laughs> like I haven't I haven't looked this up at all. I've I've not prepared for this topic. I'm I'm leaving it as an exercise to the reader or some sort of mis- general mystery. But yeah, we all know you you shouldn't put metal in the microwave and if you've ever accidentally done so or watched some some uh questionably <laughs> questionable YouTube videos, you know exactly why. But uh, metal is really useful for cooking things and getting hot, and I'm not sure what principle exactly these gray plastic question mark well, discs. The, the, it's okay to put metal of a certain shape in the mic. It's only like I, if you look like a, at a fork. I think the reason it's bad is that the um, like electric electricity arcs between the tines, so it's only only metal of specific shapes that is bad. Right. Yeah, that's right. Or possibly only metal of specific shapes that is good, because it can, like foil when it crinkles or whatever, you can... Uh... Right, right, right. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Um, but yeah, chicken pot pies, pizzas go in there. Um, there have been plastic steamer baskets for... You can steam vegetables in the microwave to some degree. One of the things I've noticed recently is cooking noodles. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure... You know what? What I know a lot of things that are instant are pre-prepared in some fashion or pre-cooked, and you're just sort of reheating them or going the rest of the way. But uh, yeah, there are lots of you know, Easy Mac used to suck really bad, and it's gotten a lot better. Um, <laughs> they they have a st- I forget what's in it. I I'm staring at a box right now because I'm a gar <laughs> because I'm human garbage. But um, there's there's a packet. Uh, when you open it up, there's chemical some starchy packet you leave that in you soak the fill the little cup with water and stir it up and that uh helps the noodles cook in the three minute time the or starchy whatever. packet right yeah. right yeah so there are these little things like that have uh, jim you said b- beforehand that you had some thoughts on this matter uh i just think that um engineering interesting engineering good frozen food must be a really interesting task like it requires like both the skill of a chef and the skill of like a materials engineer. Yeah. Like you like you need to know how how the this food is going to hold up when like flash frozen and then reheated and it's a it it, it must be a very specific skill set. Yeah, food scientists are really amazing. Like I I I really feel like they've uh, totally engineered us to eat their stuff. Like I, I'm so happy with yeah, some yeah. of Yeah. <laughs> things that come out of boxes these days <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it, it really it really has significantly improved in my lifetime yeah 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 Yeah. there's there's lots of things i mean like the whole the whole meat substitute genre is uh <laughs> yeah is one area where i've i've be, i've been there just like you know i'm about as old as you know home video games at least home video games that we would recognize as you know representative of the real world or whatever and mm-hmm. Uh, I've I've watched those grow up, and so have I watched you know meat substitutes improve from like weird oatmeal based things, which you know tasted all right, but not really like meat, <laughs> to you know to what we have today, where it's uh, either almost indistinguishable, or if not indistinguishable, you know perfectly valid as a replacement. Like you you wouldn't even yeah. miss the other thing. 
Yeah, I'm I'm confused. I'm definitely confused by the microwave technologies and um I I feel like this is sort of like um I don't know, at some point like you just don't want to engage in technology anymore and maybe that's like that's when you become old. Like I had to had to buy my first pair of reading glasses like um about a month ago and uh I I think that's it. I think I'm old now. I am um, I will not put a plastic thing in the microwave, even if it says microwave safe. Like, it's just, I don't, <laughs> I don't believe it. Like, I've been around long enough to go through, like, cycles of, like, oh, scientists say this is okay. Scientists tell you that you're going to get cancer from this one thing. Whereas, yeah. whereas I, I never gave a shit about putting plastic in the microwave. Really? So, I, <laughs> so and I've lived this long, so... <laughs> It was always my fondest dream to put plastic in the microwave. That's why I cook all this stuff. I just like plastic golems are living inside your body now. <laughs> that's that's right. Yeah. Well, no more no more than the average person, from what I hear. <laughs> the average American. Yeah. Uh, side note: there there should be a Jewish ceremony for when you get your first pair of reading glasses. I think that would be very nice. Oh, I would I would definitely hold one of those. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you have to you have to give a speech starting with now I am an old. <laughs> I went I I tried I tried the glasses on and um suddenly I could see things and I didn't realize that I couldn't see things before. <laughs> like This is just reading glasses. This isn't like a prescription no, that you went to the optometrist no, for. It's just reading glasses. Like uh, suddenly like everything has become too like small and blurry to read especially like you know reading ingredients on things or um tiny tiny little disclaimers on medications or whatever um, i'm doing the thing where i'm sort of like holding the thing up to my face and then moving it in and out so i i went up to the counter and i said i said like um you know i think it's it's time that i admit that i can't read anything anymore without glasses and she said you're the second person this hour who has said that it's accent <laughs> um but speaking of like confusing technologies and and like amazing technologies the other thing that i've noticed that is like a big boom in technology uh is not garbage but um uh you know not garbage food but um just like baby safety so because there's like nowhere to walk around here, when we go to the Walmart, I'll just do a couple of laps around the Walmart to get like an extra 2,000 steps in. And I'll yeah. I'll go down different aisles and stuff. And like the baby technology section is booming. There's a little sock that you can get their dissolved oxygen in their blood from your room from like putting the sock on the baby. There are little temperature monitors. There are like all kinds of like audio things and snot removers that like would be great for like insect collection like i'm i'm just i'm i'm blown away by the amount of stuff that if you could really reverse engineer that microwave stuff and you know the baby tech and stuff you could you could really just like build an entire lab i think just out of these like little you know home home use or even like you know single use in some cases uh technologies um you don't have to buy things from bioquip and you know all of the big lab companies just uh you know just basically like reverse engineer stuff from walmart (laughs) 
Did you say there was like a sock that measures the blood sugar? Not the blood sugar, the dissolved blood oxygen, like the the R. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Or D. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. We need a modern di- somebody w- with the authority of Mister Wizard to to do supermarket <laughs> science too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Exactly. Bring all this, you know, home technology to bear on this kind of stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Got Mr. Wizard. There's a topic. We have a baby monitor that that takes the form of a camera. Okay. It's got a it's got a camera and a microphone on it. Mm-hmm. And the microphone is good for hearing when Winston cries, but the camera is really good for like when Winston's not crying, you could still look at him to see that he's still alive. <laughs> yeah, well, if you had that sock, you could just go to sleep and it would just like ring uncontrollably if the baby's breathing or <laughs> right. dissolved oxygen yeah. or heart heart rate went down suddenly. The yeah. camera the camera fails when like he's under a blanket. Yeah, yeah. Uh but the sock, he couldn't possibly take a sock no, off. No, definitely not. Yeah. You just need better, stronger baby tech. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I need a chastity, chastity sock. I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> I got the idea when watching we... the Red Hot Chili Peppers. No, I don't. <laughs> yeah. Everybody for another topic. Sure. Pretty much one one final note about technology. I, I just thought yeah. of the uh, the old Douglas Adams quote about any technology that shows up in your life before you're 35 is a miracle, and anything after yeah. is an affront to nature. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just about. sounds right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those the fr- fridges that connect to the internet. No, thank you. Yeah, but glasses, excellent work. <laughs> yes, unless they connect to the internet. Right. No. Forget that. Uh, my topic is the mysterious grunting voice playing over the American Airlines intercom. Uh, so what's happening here is that th- this has ha- apparently happened on multiple flights, but I haven't determined whether it's happened on um, different planes. But apparently, they're oh, they still haven't fixed this problem. They're still trying to figure it out what's causing it and how to fix it. It's just but, American Airlines, too, right? Right. It's just this one airline uh, over the intercom during the flight. Occasionally, there will be this weird grunting noise, like <laughs> you know, like I'll, I'll cut in some of it, or or Esper will because I'll send Esper the the wave file. Hi, Esper. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Wait, I said hi like like you were saying hi to me. That's weird. <laughs> Okay, you can I pretend swear, to be Esper. I swear Esper's a different person. <laughs> uh and like there's a there there's recordings of this and there's like multiple eyewitness accounts or ear, ear witness I suppose from uh different people on different flights and there's a lot of discourse from like airline folks and engineering folks talking about like what could be causing this. Like apparently the uh, the the intercom, like everybody on the flight, apparently in the video, everybody thought it was a prank. Like someone had gotten into the hacked into the intercom somehow. But the intercom is uh, it's all wired in, 
and there there were no places that a person could like hide and 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 grunt into it. And also, is this person on every one of these flights? The thing that they didn't answer in this thread was like whether the person is actually on the plane in the bathroom. Like I, I feel like they would have. Well, I don't think the intercom. I don't think there's there's an intercom microphone in the bathroom. Okay, so it wasn't somebody who was able to sort of override some system and. Yeah, there's no like Wi-Fi access to it. Well, we we, we can't rule that out. You know, there are sometimes those weird. Uh sideways attacks that you can do using weird things with interference and all that so right um one theory that i really like is that apparently the american airlines has a uh like a, a message system there where it just plays plays announcements pre-recorded announcements on on intervals and someone's hypothesizing that like a prankster working on that project may have added these grunts <laughs> into the playlists <laughs> Which, that which would, is very good. That makes some sense. Your point is like whether that person is on the plane or not, you have to answer that. So there are two things that I could think to do that would like go towards solving this mystery, which is that like you have to account for everybody on the plane, right? Um, right, right. Put a gag in everybody's mouth and see if it still happens. <laughs> no, but I mean like you can – you can like um, – you know, you can have everybody like look at their neighbor and ring the bell if if they see that their neighbor is doing this in real time, right? And then right, check the yeah. bathrooms, check the pilot stuff. Like there aren't that many places to hide on a plane. Um, and then the other thing is that um, they could get like a full recording of that audio and compare it to another flight's uh, recording of that same audio to see if it's just like a loop. Um, right. Those are the two things that I would try and do um, to to start yeah. resolving this. But it seems like it's going to be a recording uh, coming from somewhere uh, rather than like a live person yeah. who has to do this for several hours. <laughs> yeah. In several that's, places. That's their, that's their day job. Yeah. <laughs> Dedicated to the craft. The other theory that I am not fully convinced by but there's definitely some evidence for it uh is that this is um uh electrical feedback like it's a it's just electrical noise that is being interpreted by the intercom system as a human voice like in the way that like, for example like if you encode something uh using a codec that is specifically built to encode the human voice and you decode it like maybe that Whatever you whatever you send into that system will come out sounding human, um, but and, and the evidence for this uh, and it's just the one it's just a moment uh, is that there is a particular grunt that ends in like it's it's like up talk it's a grunt that's like except the the up ends like an octave higher than you would expect or two octaves higher, huh. which. Which does kind of indicate some sort of either if it's if it's a prankster, the prankster probably can't make that noise unless it's like, uh, oh, I, I was going to make a joke about the guy from uh, now I can't even remember his band. Anyway, the guy with the voices who does all the grunt voices, you know what I mean? <laughs> no, <laughs> Tim Allen. <laughs> He's the guy in the band with the voice. Anyway, gritty. <laughs> It's like a 
audio from uh, about, from a music album. Are you talking about um, uh, the Commodores, like Lionel Richie being like? <laughs> <laughs> You know that song? <laughs> the, oh my god. The vomiting song? <laughs> no. Uh, I'm th- okay, the band is Faith No More. I've got that Mike far. Mike Patton. Mike Patton, thank you. Mike Patton might be able to make that particular grunt. Huh. Uh, but an, an average prankster is going to have to like do that pitch bend elect- electronically, artificially. These noises are far too human in general. I, I, that's And that's the counter argument yeah. that, that I buy into is that like i don't think any uh i don't think there exists a system that is in practical use that would have that effect on 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 like a a a beep on a tone sweep i'm positive it's just somebody like who is who is um like an incredible technical you know smart ass who got you know charged one of these like overage fees for his carry-on and like hates oh yeah hates uh, American Airlines more than anything. Uh, like, I, I used to live near an American Airlines hub, and I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> I can't decide whether I hate them more than I hate United, but I but I hate them. <laughs> I think it's the guy who leaked GTA 6. Yeah, that makes sense. I was just on a JetBlue flight, and... It you know the only the only outstanding thing that I remember from it is that in the middle of the flight they were just like okay you can go get your snacks like there's <laughs> like and they they were they just had a a, a fridge full of <laughs> snacks that, in the middle of the plane wow. and it was just a free for all huh. uh, um in, in the, and this was they actually or they actually had already had like a snack service are you sure you didn't dream this this doesn't sound like realistic to me. <laughs> For a plane flight, <laughs> everybody gets up and like goes to the snack pit. Yeah, that's that's what happened. <laughs> I'm, I'm picturing the cabin like all a perfect circle now with everybody against the edges, and then they're just in the middle. You have this circular plane. <laughs> uh, anyway, I liked I liked the snack pit on the. On the... <laughs> what was the What was the snack tech on uh, JetBlue? Uh, I believe they had Cheez-Its. Okay, okay. Uh, they, you know, it was it was the usual stuff. Airlines never have peanuts anymore, which is a shame. Yeah. I yep. Know. Uh, they had a good selection of canned beverages. I don't know why I pictured the Mario Shasta for... No grunting, right? <laughs> 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 See, if you just include a snack pit on your plane, a, a free-for-all time where everybody can get up and you know, wrestle for Cheez-Its, then nobody, you know, nobody threatens your flight with uh, grunting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've i heard, heard people talk about how, like, they're going to avoid American Airlines until they solve this problem, but I actually, it makes me want to use them more because mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I want to I bear witness. Right, yeah, yeah. No, if you can tolerate that kind of stuff, I would say go for it because, like, there's, there's the smallest chance that they might, like, comp you another ticket where you could have the same experience in a different city. Yes. I wouldn't want that. Yeah. <laughs> That's my reward for for 
getting to experience this awesome thing is to get it, experience it again. Yeah, it's like it's like Twitch plays Pokemon or something. Like you really had to be there right at the moment that it was happening. It's never going to happen again. You know, it's just like a zeitgeist thing. The grunting yeah. American Airlines guy. <laughs> this needs to be the next Nancy Drew game. Nancy needs to solve this mystery. Oh, yeah, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's really good. Yeah, that might be the breakthrough game of the century. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to be like Nancy likes after that. <laughs> <laughs> Are there Nancy likes? I feel like I can't remember the chronology. I know there were, there's like the Hardy Boys and there's the, the Three Investigators, which was the series that I read as a kid. Oh, you read them. But I don't know what. I, yeah, I don't know which came first. Yeah, the Hardy Boys came first, and then um, Nancy Drew is actually written by um, by like several different people um, as like a female protagonist um, to kind of like be a mirror for the guy protagonist. But she became more popular. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the Three Investigators series was also just uh, it was it was presented by Alfred Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. Like I, th- uh, I think Alfred Hitchcock wrote wrote a foreword, but all the books were written by different authors, and they they were like they were credited, but they weren't on the cover. Oh, oh okay, okay, yeah, hmm. yeah. Now I'm just I'm just imagining like I'm on I'm on this plane and I get to witness, <laughs> or I could get framed. I could get fr- they'd lead me away in handcuffs. You could just stand up and be like, "I'm the Frog Fractions guy." <laughs> Like, oh, this is exactly your your kind of thing. Come with us, sir. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, <laughs> guilty by association. Or I could just stand up and making make grunting grunting noises. Right. Yeah, it, yeah. Like join in. Like it would be like a whole plane. It would be a duet. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like the whole plane could join in. You know. Oh yeah, this could be like it could be like um, train jam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where. Everybody on this flight bought bought the ticket so they could have a party while listening to the grunts. <laughs> that just reminded me. Did you see the one recently? the The flight with the ukulele lesson. Oh yeah. Ugh. No, it sounds sounds bad. That was cute. <laughs> right. <laughs> there was some. Damn it! I mentioned it. Now I. I don't want to look it up. I'm on this laptop. That's <laughs> okay. That's, that's all right. They'll show up in the Discord. Join the Discord for more about the ukulele plane. <laughs> uh, I tried searching for airplane ukulele and, oh, 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 it's Southwest Airlines. Mm-hmm. Everyone on this Southwest Airlines flight, yada, yada, yada. Uh, who can forget the wrapping f- flight attendant? I don't actually want to read this, but it looks like everybody got a ukulele, so that flight must have been a nightmare for the rest of the flight. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this this all I can think of is the 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 time like a rock band gave a concert on a flight, like un un like surprise, you have to listen to a rock concert on this flight. Yeah, yeah. also not long ago, also during these post pan or during pandemic times, I think that was. Yeah, it's bizarre. It's bizarre to, to like, it, you know, it was always bizarre to be, like, trapped on a plane with other people, but now it's, like, dangerous, and people are like, well, you know, you're trapped here. It's, you know, we could all be getting COVID together, and now <laughs> there are ukuleles for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a, 
it's it's time to just um you know take trains and stay at home and you know garden <laughs> yeah yep we'll have the music and the grunting combined and uh it'll eventually be a spirited rendition of hooked on a feeling that'll be that'll, <laughs> that's where this is all leading are we ready for another topic sure i believe so we're doing a poem the cow by oliver herford who would like to read this poem I'm the one who brought it up, so unless... Yeah, yeah. Go for it. Okay. Yeah. You go for if, it. If, 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 if Erica felt like she had a spirited reading of it in her, I was going to defer, but yes. So this is a poem I found in a book in a library. Okay. The Cow by Oliver Herford. The cow is too well known, I fear, to need an introduction here. If she should vanish from Earth's face, it would be hard to fill her place. For with the cow would disappear... So much that every one holds dear. Oh, think of all the boots and shoes, milk punches, gladstone bags and stews, and things too numerous to count, of which, my child, she is the fount. Let's hope at least the fount may last until our generation's past. Yeah, I don't think we're in any danger of losing cows. <laughs> I, I, think, I think there are... We keep trying to kill them, but they keep... <laughs> yeah. They keep coming back. We're tr- we keep trying to eat the meat too, like not 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 only kill them but like erase evidence of their existence. Yeah. This is uh, this is uh, written in 1901. Yes, you know back when yeah, back when they, when they worried about peak cow. Yeah, peak cow. <laughs> Isn't Herford like a a cow like a kind of cow? A heifer. Is a, uh, a another name for a cow? H e i f f e r, I believe. Right, right, but yeah. So her name is just reminding me of cow because she said cow so many times. Herford. It's Oliver. Herford. So not not, not a, to assume any pronouns here, but oh oh. Nineteen oh one. Sorry. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll make some he, assumptions yeah. for nineteen oh one. Herford but, is uh, a, a, an area of Germany, so. It could be a German guy who is interested in peak cow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do we know what milk punch is? Nope. I mean, I'm <laughs> thinking like, up, an, but... like an eggnog, kind of. Oh, sure. Yeah, but I don't know what a Gladstone bag is. It just makes me think of, I assume it's like a Glad bag. Yeah, I don't, we didn't even have to to lose the cow to, to then like uh, get wrong what you know, like, like, look at this list and basically have the wrong associations with all of the items on that list. <laughs> it looks like it is a lot like eggnog. Yeah, like we we did lose milk punches and we did lose Gladstone bags and we didn't have to. Yeah, lose yeah. <laughs> a milk punch consists of milk, brandy or bourbon, sugar and vanilla extract served cold with nutmeg sprinkled on top. Oh yeah, yeah. It's just like an eggless egg eggnog, right? Yeah, I found this poem in a in a book in a library. It was actually a special re- reading room of the library, a special collection uh, at one of the local city libraries. Uh, it just struck me the age of the poem and the sentiment at the very end. Uh, something about the times in which we live, even though we're not in danger of running out of cows, uh, it, it really kind of rang a, a bit a bit truer than it should for something a hundred years a uh, hundred years plus distant. You're relating to like the potential loss of the cow as like a real concern here, right? The cow or any other sort of natural resource that we rely on. Right. Yeah, I I 
I almost read this as sort of like a an optimistic rallying call to like love our cows. Like we're so yeah. dependent on our cows. Like shouldn't we think about all the ways that like cows have influenced our lives and and also we eat them? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's possible that's it's possible that's more of it because uh you know, the last two lines are obviously sort of a punchline on the whole thing, but it's from a the collection this comes from is called More Animals, at least yeah. originally by by the author. So the author wrote poems about all these animals. You can actually find that book, I think, on archive, um, mm-hmm. which makes sense because it's incredibly old. But I found this in a different anthology. Uh, I forget mm-hmm. if there was some. Uh, I forget if there was a unifying theme. I don't think there there was overall. Um, it was just some poetry anthology. And I just happened to land on this one. Like, for me to, like, look at a poem this old, like, I don't even know in 1901 if people understood what extinction was, right? Like, extinction was, like, really debated for a long time. Like, could an animal go extinct? Right. Like, like they didn't... Would God allow it? Yeah, would God allow it? Like, they didn't know. And, like, it took, like, a long time to kind of establish that there had been animals in North America that, like, were no longer there. So I don't know. I don't know if I, like, totally see that this person... um, I don't know. Let's hope at least the fount, meaning, like, the cow, may last Uh until our generation's past. Like... I I wonder where this this kind of trauma is coming from because like he probably doesn't think that like we're gonna eat all the cows to to death right <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, I, I don't know this might be someone just struggling with the concept of extinction like not knowing how it works and just thinking like anything could go extinct at any time yeah. if it's possible yeah I'm. I think well by this time we had the examples like the dodo and stuff so right I'm not up on my research on in terms of the moors but I do know there are things like um you know even climate change at around the same time there's a famous thing that gets posted on Twitter every once in a while about a a study about you know the greenhouse effect that took place around this time and how scientists were saying you know in a hundred years. <laughs> It was going to cause problems if this kept happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know, right. it's 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 easy to compress all this time. Like 1901, I feel like by that time it's fairly far advanced in terms of that kind of thing. Like I said, I'm a bit fuzzy on the history. I know I've I've seen the examples and heard anecdotes from that time, but I think there are there is at this time by 1901 examples of this type of thing. Yeah, but they didn't. I mean, I think a lot of these. Uh, extinctions were um, were kind of discovered in retrospect with like that could be like like later biologists going out and trying to find more examples of these animals and realizing that they're not. yeah I don't know unfortunately I haven't researched more on the the particular author and you know if reading his other poems and other work might throw a li- or knowing about his life might throw a little more light on this but so that can be left as an exercise to the listener. Right, right. Yeah, it would be interesting to read read more. Like, is he just um, popping out these like poems that are um, that are kind of like both glib and um, full of pathos at the same time, and like only about ten lines long? You know, like is that his style? <laughs> like, yeah. What's his What's his genre? <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't know anything about him. I, I, I said she because uh, the last time I was on, we read a poem by Mary Oliver, and I just uh, uh, 
I like the name right. Oliver was triggering female to me. It's possible I read more into it just because uh, um, being a smart ass myself and. When I when I read <laughs> when I read poems written like this, I mean it's not a limerick, but it, it it has some of the, I feel like it has some of the bounce and characteristic of that with these rhyming couplets. Yeah, yeah. So you know maybe maybe I'm reading a little more in there because of the form as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Are we uh, ready for another topic? Sure. Uh, John B, your topic is. Should I just read this URL? It says. <laughs> I'll read the rest of it. Click freeware and indie games in the late 90s and early 2000s. Yeah. Our family got our first like real computer right at the end of 1999 for Christmas. They had just become like super affordable, like less than, you know, uh, okay machines for less than or in the $500 range, which had been unheard of throughout like the rest of the 90s. And so I wasn't 16 yet and I had no money. So, of course, I went looking for a lot of free games on the internet. It seems like there was this whole vibrant culture that sort of existed in between, like, the heydays of shareware and the current kind of indie scene with Itch and Unity and things like that. Uh, or actually, you know, or even further, before Steam made it possible to, to buy games over the internet, essentially, <laughs> and popularize that. It's like people would develop games. And yeah, like, yeah. Well, it was the the community that that de- developed into the modern indie scene. Right. Yeah, and I mean that's typified by a lot of people, but especially like Derek Yu, who's had success with Spelunky. I remember playing games of his twenty years ago, and it's weird to see, you know, kind of he's still around and you know doing the doing the thing. It was, yeah. it was just weird to be there for the be- kind of the beginning of that, just as a fan, like. Finding these things. And the place I found a lot of these, the other part of it was uh, a site called freegames.org, which later became Game Hippo, uh, which later sadly went defunct. And then somebody bought the Game Hippo name. And, you know, such is the way of all things pure and good on the and internet. The rest is history. <laughs> yeah, but a lot of these were collected there. So there were a lot of um, a lot of projects created by the Click Team, was the developer that made that middleware. All right, Jim, you can speak more to that. I, I forget the. Uh, the details of the various names, click and create, and multimedia fusion part of that later. And sorry, I was just. Hi, kitty. Hi, kitty. Who's the kitty? I've let my cat in the room. Her name is Oni. She's 17 years old. Oh. I don't think I've had recorded audio oh. of her before, but she's been on the call a couple of times. Hi, kitty. Hi. Hi. I don't think I've seen a picture of Oni in the Discord. Yeah, I think I post very few, so uh, I'll I'll try to get one in there. I've I've posted my dog, but uh, <laughs> and and I I think that's the only po- picture of me I've posted in there too. Hi, kitty. Hi. <laughs> uh, maybe I can mute my mic if. Uh, uh, no, no, this cat this cat belongs on the yeah. show. Okay. <laughs> she can be her own top. Maybe we can edit her in to. T- we could say here's the flow, and then. The secret. Hi, kid. Oh, she's adorable. Yeah, I'll post pictures for sure. Thank Hi, you. you want me to just talk over her and continue? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, so I, sp- I spent a lot of time on, on freegames.org, and it was this, this great mix of a lot of older stuff and then, the, you know, the handful of things coming out at the time. Like I mentioned Derek Yu and puzzle games like Diabolica, uh, Dink Smallwood, which mm. was kind of this... Kind of one of the bigger like free adventure games I had seen, like a top down. I guess it's sort of like an adventure game in the true sense. I haven't played it in a while, but um, you know, it was 
a medieval themed comedy adventure, but top down kind of Zelda like, but more focused on the exploration and grabbing items and taking them to a place like a point and click or other old adventure games. That was a um, a click and play game. That one wasn't, I th- I believe, but but yeah, I played. I definitely played a lot of click games. Um, I, I I don't remember too many of the developers except Fallen Angel Industries, which was around, which had a couple that I liked, and I uh, I recently f- discovered that. Or connected that uh, the creator of Iconoclast, Joaquin Sandberg, Konjak, was part of that little collective. Yeah. Quadnet was a DOS game I liked a lot. Uh, it was like really simple Robotron, but it had this cool perspective shifting effect where you were just a little spaceship on a grid type thing and you, you shot these balls that bounced around like in Jez Ball. They didn't even have AI or anything. But it was but it was a multi directional shooter with a cool perspective trick, and there's, right. there's lots of this stuff is lost to time now because of course all the links are dead and you know people's home pages go away. Um, but one thing that's been I mean itch has been you know the place to go for experiences a lot like this. Free games slash game people also had a lot of you know old projects that had been become free or open source or demos. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't focused so much on demos, but Sometimes there'd be like a, a shareware episode or two on there. One thing that's kind of, I don't know, I, I think I this topic could be just be me listing these games as I remember them. <laughs> <laughs> there's, I'm just rambling until somebody chimes in with their own memories. But there's some, uh, there's something uh, recent that has kind of captured that same spirit. One of the things about it was it was curated. They would have, you know, they had a handful of semi anonymous reviewers who who would rate the games in the different genres and everything and there's a recent effort from super rare games to put out uh what they're calling mixtapes it's actually a physical collection of you know cur- mostly current but occasional old games on USB drives shaped like cassette tapes cassette tapes oh, cassette that's lovely tapes. yeah so the, there are three volumes out. I've purchased all three because it was just such a neat idea. You know, I recognized a handful of the games. I think the real impetus for me was uh, Enviro Bear 2000 was one of the uh, was on the first release, and I remember really laughing at that when I first saw it, however many years ago. I was like, "Yes, right. I, I need to own a phys- physical version of that." You know, like I was, it, and this comes from the same place. You know, I'm one. I'm one of the people who bought Frog Fractions too on limited runs. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. They're, but they're neat. And uh, Deke Smallwood, which I mentioned earlier, actually just got its first physical release on this third volume with like some enhancements and stuff. So, Oh, it's like a remaster. Is it like a remaster? I don't think it. I, I think it runs in widescreen and, you know, runs easily on modern machines. But other. That, that counts. I don't know if there's any new content or whatever, but, you know, it's, you know, kind of what I want out of a remaster like that. I think I yeah my experience with this sort of community is the ZZT community yeah I was briefly on the prodigy ZZT group that was taught like that that a lot of those early better known creators were on I never really considered myself part of the community but I was definitely playing those games as as they were being developed uh and it, it felt a lot like what you were talking about where like this is just this is a bunch of kids fucking around and learning to make games and in fact making games that other that were entertaining to other kids because they didn't have uh access to like games cost money and 
they didn't have access to them. Unlike now where like games are, even games that cost money are basically free. I I can't remember exactly like where I was getting games. And and I remember like it, it varied, uh, you know, based on what year it was. Um, Like, you know, kind of sort of in in the later cycle, it was like places like Newgrounds, or I would even just type in Flash or Shockwave games. Um, there was one that I like called Misquilly, but I was kind of like finding um, on my own just by sort of looking at it wasn't Google. What did we have? Net. Alta Vista, Yahoo. Uh, there was Hotbot. <laughs> Hot. Lycos, AOL keyword, Ask Dog Jeeves, Pile. Dog Pile, search a bunch of them. Some of the games that I played were like really wild and they were like word of mouth games. Um, so like my sister came home from college one year. We had like dial up internet at that point and like we were one of the <laughs> first houses to have internet. So we would dial up and log into the Williams College Mud. So there was a Williams Mud where you could walk around Williams College and um, other people would like log in and play this mud with you. And there were like little NPCs waiting to interact with you. But you had to, we didn't quite understand what was going on because we were logging in at night and like all the NPCs were asleep. You actually had to come back during a time that they would be awake um, and the buildings would be open. And you could like go into the library and read the books and stuff. It's a different kind of game and stuff, but I do remember that there was, like, a time where, like, word of mouth was a valid way to, like, find these games. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember how I even landed on this. This is something I do from time to time is try to remember, how did I end up on this site where I spent so much of my time? Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, one place I ended up getting on a chain, one of the first, uh, free games one of the only free online games i played because it was dial up internet and there you know there wasn't a lot and i didn't get into muds or whatever it was a game called grawl the adventure or grawl online and it was a essentially a zelda clone um but that was its own kind of weird if you went online in that game it was its own kind of weird anarchy where <laughs> players could kill each other and chat and there was this degree of character customization. They even accepted user submissions huh. for like wow. some of the various cosmetic parts. And I managed to get a couple things uploaded to the server. So just some really <laughs> bad stuff, but they put it up and you could you could use it. Uh, that was that was one of those things where if I yeah if I if I talk too much about that community, I could I, that's one of the early internet places where I could probably incriminate myself if I revealed too much. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those people probably were like, oh, I've got an idea. Let's let users upload stuff so we don't have to draw everything. You know, they thought, they probably thought that they were, like, doing a really great job with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was a lot of stuff. I think it was just, you know, just just a feature. I, I don't think it was that, because there, there seemed to be a lot of graphics in the game, and you could play it offline, and there were, like, weird quests, but it was all unfinished, and... But it was very attractive looking for a free game and, you know, the fact that you could play with other players and everything. That was that was quite a trip. I, play, I played a good deal of that. Yeah, yeah, there's something... I mean, I, I think we got started talking about these games that you were playing that are sort of like um, single-player games and stuff, but, but I, I really feel like the, like, 
wild stuff was like the multiplayer stuff that that first came together online. Yeah, that's that tracks. Even with my limited experience at that time of online games, I was also on Neopets. So just <laughs> which we, oh yeah, which has showed up before on a. You know, it had, come to think of it, that had a similar vibe, except uh, a bit bigger. And of course, you know, in terms of the customization and expression you could do. Yeah, I never played Neopets. I, I saw like somebody younger than me playing it, and I got very suspicious of like what it actually was. <laughs> it looked like too too arty and too refined to be like a real video game. Yeah, <laughs> it had too much like of a consistent style. Yeah, ZCT I was aware of too from a actually before before having our first real computer. I had a hand me down old DOS machine from. A, like ancient, like I don't know how much hard drive it space it had. Probably not enough to hold an MP3. But um, it was an old computer. It was my uncle's computer, and uh, we didn't do much with it. But I got a box of shareware from a coworker of my mom's, and was able to figure out some basic DOS commands from that and run a few games. So Super ZZT Monster Zoo was something I played through. And strangely, like when I got online, I didn't go looking for more of that. I don't know why, because. That was an interesting experience, too, because it was very... When I got all those games, it was contemporary with... I had a Nintendo 64, but I would be fascinated by these games of uh, unknowns, perhaps vintage, that I could get to run on this machine. Like, some of the shareware I was mystified by, because it would be like the demo for One Must Fall or whatever, and that was way, way too advanced for this computer. We're talking pretty old here. Um but I could run Super ZZT and other text mode. A lot of my game experiences, like um, playing very old games, uh, I was like, just totally stymied because I didn't um, understand that like computers have internal clocks. <laughs> so I, I think like Sid Meier's has a game called Ants that was something that you could like run on your computer. And I would put it on my computer and it would be so fast that everything would like come alive and die within like... Yeah. You know, twenty yeah, seconds. Yeah, that's a that's a classic. That's a classic problem from like when they were making games for the early PCs, and all the all those early PCs were like about the same speed, about the same clock rate. Yeah, and so they hadn't figured out yet how to synchronize the uh, how to actually synchronize it with the real time clock. Uh, okay, so that wasn't like my my failure as like a, a no that kid. was a bug yeah. in those or or <laughs> may, arguably maybe a design flaw in those games uh -huh. and like do, i don't know if you ever had a pc with a turbo button on it no i didn't <laughs> but that's what turbo that was button. for like the turbo button like would uh toggle between two clocks clock rates wow. one of them was like the modern like the full speed that cpu can run at and one of them was like this is for running old games yeah yeah Wow, that would have been really helpful. Um, like, I I also played like a lot of King's Quest. I know this is a different style of game and stuff than we're, what this topic was about, but um, King's Quest was like a pretty interesting game with like little puzzles, and you walk around and you you try and gather three things. Yeah, King's Quest is is interesting because it's almost trying to be a uh, an open world, like a, a yeah. almost like a procedural. Like it can simulationist kind of an adventure game yeah 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 but it would run so fast that like uh like you have to drop into the well at some point and like hit swim <laughs> and then dive you have to right you have to type swim fa before you drown yeah 
And um, I would just drown over and over again. And I think you have to start from somewhere like way back or like start completely over or something. I can't remember what the save states were like. But I actually like would get my mom to come upstairs with me and I'd be like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then you're going to have to type swim, enter, <laughs> dive, enter. And then you're going to have to swim down to the thing. She's like, I don't know how to swim down to the thing. I'm like, I'll do it. But then you have to type like hit guy or something. Right. But those things like they were just they were just run so fast that like um there's another like barrier that I couldn't get past uh past that part of the game just because it it ran too fast basically. Yeah, yeah. I remember the later Sierra games had a speed setting uh-huh. where only fastest would be as fast as your computer could go uh-huh. and all the other ones were like various gradations of what your computer could go, I think. Yeah. yeah. But it, it's totally plausible to me that King Qu- King's Quest they hadn't figured that out yet. <laughs> yeah. My only experience with that was uh, SimCity 2000. When you run it years later on a more modern machine and you set it to fastest, uh, you couldn't you couldn't click through dialogue boxes fast enough to actually stop it from happening. <laughs> 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 it was just everything all at once. It was pretty bad. That's funny. Poor games. I hope uh, there are a couple of like groups that are trying to like save these games, right? Archive them on their yeah. on their correct machines, right? <laughs> yes, yeah. They, there there are a number of of organizations trying to do that sort of thing. Are they all emulated now? All of these things? I don't even really know what that means. Like they're no, but their original formats or a lot of them are. Yeah, there, there's um, a lot. A lot of them are even play- playable on in the on the web now, actually. The things that aren't well emulated are the things that just weren't that popular. Like, there's a lot of games made for computers that were just not very, not remembered fondly. And so no one bothered to make emulators for them or no one bothered to preserve the games. And like, a lot of the preserved games are the cracked versions. And so they have cracked screens on them. (laughs) (laughs) And so like, a lot of the preservationists are trying to like, let's go back and actually do it right this time. Find the original, like, un unmodified versions of the game, which is, like, in many cases, very difficult because those floppy disks are, like, 40 years old now and have deteriorated. And also, like, games that weren't – or the software that wasn't games basically just didn't get preserved at all because no one gave a shit. Soft- oh, yeah, right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like spreadsheets, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, no, we had, we had like, one uh, – what is that size? Like, four – Four and a half by four and a half, or five by five. Even the of a, of a floppy. Yeah, it was <laughs> five and a quarter. Five and five a quarter, and I a think. Quarter, yeah. So we had um we had a floppy when I was in grad school. We had a floppy that was the five and a quarter floppy. You could put like a point in a field and then put Helmholtz coils around it and like simulate <laughs> what magnetic field you would get. And one of my friends wanted a copy of the disc. And I was going to, like, steal it and mail it to him so he could, like, load it onto his computer and use it. And he's like, no, just make a copy. And I'm like, oh, yeah, a copy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just copy that floppy. Copy that floppy. <laughs> but, but it was kind of like, um, you know, even the idea of, like, copying something was kind of new. You know, like, transferring something onto from a floppy to a hard drive. That was old hat for me, but because I didn't have like a computer education as a kid, 
like when I hit that phase, like presented with a floppy, I felt like the only way I could get it onto somebody else's computer was to to give the original physical copy to that person. Um, right. Yeah, they they saved me from like getting in trouble for stealing valuable lab software, though. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's all the time we have for Topic Lords. Erica, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, I'm generally in the Discord. We share pictures of cats. And- Not Oni, though. <laughs> we love Oni. <laughs> Oni's oh, going to make an appearance. Join us and see Oni. <laughs> She'll sweep through like wildfire, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and John, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at you old so and so if you want to do such a thing for some reason. I'm also pretty active in the Topic Lords Discord. Uh, if you're going to yell at me about how I'm wrong or correct me, please do it in there and not on Twitter. <laughs> please, please fill in all the holes because <laughs> I, I know there are many in uh, what we talked about today. Come, come, join us, share. <laughs> it's an order. Thanks so much for being on. Yeah, thanks for having us. As always, thank you. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. And you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!